Acts chapter 5. Let's go there. We've been kind of looking at the book of Acts. We're going to do this for a couple more weeks um, before we uh, transition into our fall series. But I want to kind of catch you up and want to kind of bring you up to speed with what's happening in the book of Acts because it will make chapter five and uh, chapters 5 and 6 here, it'll make it a lot more sense as we talk about what's been happening and some of the church growth that we've seen. Is that all right? All right, so uh, in Acts 1.15, we see the disciples in the upper room, and they're praying. And at that time, it is said that there were about 120, um, there were about 120 apostles and, and followers of Jesus at that time in the upper room. And then in Acts 2, we talked about this a few weeks ago, Acts 2, we see 3,000 added to the Lord in one day, baptized. And then in Acts 4, we see 5,000 uh, that were added. In Acts 5.14, we see that believers were increasingly added. And then in Acts 6.1, we see the number of the disciples was multiplying. So we see multiplication happen. And then in Acts 6.7, the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Then in Acts 9.31, the churches were multiplied. The, The growth compounded. And so, and the term here, the term numbered, the, anytime we, we're seeing these numbers in, in, in these first nine or ten chapters in the book of Acts, it implied those who identified, right, identified with the church. Because, because some people, how many of you know, right, some people may, may go to church, but, they're, but they wouldn't call themselves part of the family. Right? They, they, they might go to church, but they wouldn't call themselves part of the family. Like one of the things we did down in North Kakalaki um, is, is uh, we went to, uh, that's North Carolina for the locals, for those of you, okay? One of the things we did down there, um, because we have a son that is obsessed with football, and it was the opening day of Panthers training camp. And so we decided to take said seven-year-old obsessed football player, like I'm bringing him to our church's fantasy football draft because he knows way more than I do about who's playing this year and, and, all, and all of that. I thought Emmett Smith was still... Anyway, um, but, uh, but, but we, took him, we took him down and, and we walked onto the Panthers uh, training camp facility and did not realize that we were going to go to this. And Ezra's wearing a Tampa Bay Buccaneers Tom Brady jersey. To the Panthers' first day of training camp, you should have seen some of the looks. And so we go down. We're staying, like we're not we're not Panthers fans. We're Patriots fans because we like winners, right? And and um and so we we're, we're, we're but we're standing there and we're trying to pretend to fit in. And then if you've ever been to a training camp or whatever, you can kind of walk over where the players are all exiting, right? And and uh, and and all of the players started pointing out. I say all. Oh, a few of the players started pointing out. Um, hey, you're wearing the wrong shirt here, kid, right? Like calling out my seven-year-old. And so finally I looked at one of them. I was like, well, he, he might wear a Panther shirt if you gave him one. And right there, right, you want to talk about confidence. I don't have this level of confidence, right? But he takes off his shirt right there in front of everybody. Confidence. And then he takes his undershirt off right there in front of everybody. The, the, the undershirt that he's just been practicing in for two hours in this type of heat and hands it over the fence to, to Ezra to my son. And Ezra felt it for like two seconds and was like, here, daddy, you carry this. And so I got to carry this guy's undershirt back to the car. It was such a blessing. It was such a gift, right? But we were there at Panthers training camp, but we would not identify ourselves as Panthers fans. Okay, we got that? We make that clear? 
Okay, right? And, and so some people, right, attend the body of Christ on Sunday morning. Some people attend the church. Some people attend Summit. But you would not necessarily identify with the kingdom of heaven yet. You might not necessarily identify with Summit Church yet. Okay, but these folks that, 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 um, that Luke is writing about, that he's reporting about in the book of Acts, these numbers, the 5,000, the 3,000, the 120, these are folks that would have identified themselves not only with the kingdom of heaven, but with the church of Jesus Christ. And that's important. It's important to note. These weren't just crowd numbers. These were, these were committed, these were bought in numbers to the kingdom of heaven. And then we get to chapter 5, and some issues started happening within the body of Christ. Hasn't happened since the book of Acts. But some issues started arising within the body of Christ. Look at verses uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 5. A man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And his wife's knowledge, uh, and, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, why is this important? This is significant because we looked at it in, the, in, in Acts chapter 2 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the, re, um, to the reading of the Scriptures, right, and to the prayers, and that they shared everything that they had and that they had everything in common. Now, fast forward to Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira sell a piece of property and they only bring a piece, of the proceeds. They only bring a portion of the proceeds. Now, they were battling three things that I'm sure none of you in this room have ever battled. Pride. They wanted to, they wanted the attention, right? They wanted the attention uh, given to Barnabas, right? They, they wanted that. Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself a, 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 a part of the proceeds that were sold? And so they, they were dealing with pride. Second thing they were dealing with was greed because they wanted some. They wanted some. And I'm sure, I'm sure Ananias and Sapphira sat around the table looking at each other saying, you know what? We did the work here. This is our land. We deserve this. Greed. They gave only part of what they sold. And then number three, the third issue that they were, that they were fighting was lying. Lying. They lied to Peter and the Holy Spirit. Um, we, we preached through the book of Acts early, early on in my ministry at South Coast back in probably 2011, 2012. And, and I was studying for this passage of Scripture and hanging out with my nephew one afternoon. And, uh, and, and my nephew was at the time probably whew, 10 or 11 years old. And you, if you've ever known a 10 or 11 year old, um, they, they, they sometimes 10 or 11 year olds, especially young, young boys, right, uh, struggle with lying. And, and, so, and so I caught him one day. I caught him one day in a, in a little, you know, white lie, right? Because that makes it okay. We just, it's just a white lie, right? Uh, still a lie, right? But I, I, I caught him one afternoon. And, and, um, and, and we, so we're sitting at the dining room table talking about, hey, you know, um, uh, why'd you lie? And, uh, and he, he didn't really know. He didn't really know. He felt bad. He said he was sorry. I said, well, you know, I, I, I figured this would be a good teaching moment, uncle to nephew. Right, a good teaching moment, uncle to nephew. Since I was really studying this chapter, this passage at the time, 
And I said, well, do you know what happened to Ananias and Sapphira in the scriptures when they lied to the church and ultimately to the Holy Spirit? And he looked at me, he's like, no. I said, they got killed. They died. They died because, and you should have seen his face. He never wanted to hang out with me after that. I don't really know why. I don't really get it. But they had three issues, pride, greed, and lying. And, 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 and Peter even says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Notice where the problem comes from. Notice where the issue came from. The enemy was tempting him, was filling his heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back a, 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 part, of the piece of, a part of the price of the land for yourself. Part of the price of the land. We keep reading in Acts chapter 5. I'm just going to summarize it for you because I really want to get to Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7. We keep reading. The church continues to grow. I mean, we talked about it uh, earlier in chapter 5. Um, believers were increasingly added to the body of Christ. They were increasingly added. And th this was causing issues. I mean, back when, the, back when the body of Christ in the beginning of Acts chapter 1 was 120, that's manageable. Right? You, can, you can know all of those people and more than likely be known by them. 3,000, then 5,000, then increasingly added, things were becoming more difficult to keep track of. The body of Christ was expanding, was growing. And we have what's called saturation evangelism. Acts 5.28 uh, You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. I love that. What a beautiful picture. What if someone could say, you have filled Gorham, Maine, Summit Church with your doctrine. Woo! That's awesome. You have filled Southern Maine with your doctrine. You have filled Maine with your doctrine. That was a problem. Because people were being added. Saturation evangelism. And, and, and there was uh, uh, Pastor Jerry Falwell um, used to say this, use every available means to reach every available person at every available time. That's the church's job description, right? To use every available means to reach every available person at every available time. Now, there was a problem. Acts chapter 6, because of the growth, let's look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Y'all okay? Y'all with me? All right, this side, again, this side is always there at the beginning. And then they die off a little bit and you come to life, right? So I guess it just works. I guess it works. But okay, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, there we go again, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, something hugely important here to, to point out, to highlight, okay? Um, again, growth happened. A complaint arose, right? Again, hasn't happened since the book of Acts within the body of Christ, but a complaint arose. Now, it was a valid complaint, People were being neglected in the daily distribution. I'm sure if Peter had known about this, he would have not been comfortable with this. Catch that. Okay, catch that. But they made the complaint known. Let me tell you where we struggle and go wrong so often in the church of 2022. 
we have a complaint, but we never make it known. We never make it known. We never share. We expect, we expect Pastor Travis to know when I have a headache. I expect Pastor Travis to know in his phone to ding on his GPS when I'm going to the hospital. We never make it known. Let me tell you something, church. We can't know unless we know. We can't care unless we know. And so the complaint arose, but these Hellenists didn't just be content with the fact that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. They let someone know. That's huge. They let someone know. And hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, because I think this is just as important. I think this is just as important. Not only, not only letting people know about the complaints, but hey, also, let someone know when they're doing a good job. Let someone know when they're doing a good job. Let this worship team know when they're doing a good job. Let our welcome team know when they're out there on some of the hottest days of the summer, hey, you're doing a good job. Granted, you've got the best job because this is where the breeze is, but you're doing a great job. Right? You're doing a great job. We don't do both of these enough. Let the complaint know, but also, hey, let someone know when they're doing a good job. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Again, Peter knew his boundary. The, the, the disciples in the time, they, they called each other together to respond to the complaint, but they said, we can't give up preaching the Word of God. This is not our task to do. It is reminiscent of Exodus 18 when Moses is sitting alone as judge for the Israelites and Jethro, his father-in-law, comes to him and says, Moses, what you're doing for you and these people is not good. You're going to wear you and these people out by sitting alone as judge. You've got to raise up some leaders. And so he raises up some leaders. It wasn't that Moses was doing the wrong task. It was that other things were being neglected. Let me tell you a quick story, okay? Uh, I've been a member of a family with, affected by disability for 38 years, okay? Um, and going off and doing camps like the one you just saw a six and a half minute video about for years. I've done uh, probably 60 Johnny Land camps. One more to go this summer. I've pastored a church for 11 and a half years. We just launched a disability ministry this summer. Doesn't make sense, does it? Doesn't add up. The scriptures say the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the harvest, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send workers. Right? And so my prayer to God has been for years that we would have a disability ministry, but I couldn't be the champion. I love disability ministry, but I could not be the champion. And it wasn't until 2018, 2019, when a guy by the name of Mark Harriman went to Johnny Land 
and, 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 and received a call in his life to come home to Summit Church and start a disability ministry. And then last year, Becky Wiggins goes, and, 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 and Dan Garrish, and some more of you start to go to this place and catch the bug for disability ministry. And now we have a disability ministry. We had an ice cream, so a cookout, ice cream socials coming up, a cookout back in July where we had three families show up, and I wasn't even there. That's why we say at membership class that the body is most effective when the body ministers to the body. Because listen to me, just like they knew in the book of Acts, they had to find out the hard way, just like Jethro knew in Exodus chapter 18, the move of God cannot be, everybody say can't be, can't be centered around one person. It can't be. Jesus did not go to the cross and, and institute the, the ministry of the body of Christ, the church, the blessing that this is, so that it could be built on, centered around, and, and stabled by one person that's not Him. Church is a team sport. And we need each and every one of you involved and on the team. We'll play different roles, but we need you on the team. Okay, let's keep going. We can't do this every verse, guys. Okay? All right, verse 3. It's not right to go up preaching the Word of God to serve the tables. Okay? So they, they recognized, yes, this is a need. This is a legitimate complaint that we've got to do something about this. We're not the team. Right? We're not the group. Because we, God has called us to do this. And we've got to stay faithful to this. Verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Verse 4, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said, please, the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and, and, and Prochorus, and, and Nick, and Timon, uh, uh, Timon and Puma from um, The Lion King. Two of you laughed. Okay. And Parmenas and, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, excuse me. Verse 6. These they sat before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. Verse 7. Huge. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We will only be we will only be as fruitful and as faithful as the number of people that are bought into the ministry of Jesus Christ at Summit Church. Use every available means. You're an available means to reach every available person at every available time. So, again, the problem, there was a murmuring, there was a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Why was this a dilemma? Why do we see this in Scripture? Because the church cannot be built around one team or one person. It is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Can I tell you something? And this is hard for me to admit. This is hard for me to admit. I'm like Dylan. I love being right. 
It's fun. And in some conversations, I'm always right. Like with Ian, I'm always right. And in some, some instances, I'm always wrong. With Kristen, I'm always wrong. Right? And then somewhere in between. Dylan, it's about 50-50. Right? And the reason this is hard for me is because I would love to sit here and tell you that I can do it all. But one of the things that God has taught me over the last 11 years is I have this thing called limitations. I don't like them. They're really, really, really annoying. Thursday, uh, Wednesday, Wednesday night, um, some of the young volunteers came to me and, and said, we heard that you're the one to talk to to organize a basketball game. I looked at him and I was like, maybe 10 years ago, but I'm listening. And he said, we want to challenge some of the older volunteers to a basketball game tomorrow afternoon. What, what do you think the age cutoff should be? And I was like, well, I'm 38, so 37, right? But then, but then we, we talked some more and we decided, okay, the over 25s, are going to play the younger 25s. And so we decided 4.15 during the, SD, during the volunteer break, we were going to go and play over, thir- over 25 and under 25. We made some exceptions. We had, we had two leadership kids, Bria, my daughter, and one of the other um, over 25s son. Since they were leadership kids, we were going to let them play with us only because the numbers were so lopsided, because the under 25s wanted to beat the older over 25s so bad that they had like 20 people on their team, and we were struggling to find enough people over 25 that could actually play, run up and down the court. And so we, we made two exceptions. Long story short, in a shocking turn of events, the over 25s won. Oh, yeah. Like there was any doubt, right? The over 25s won. And that night, we, we, we got to uh, our, our evening event, and I was trying to fill some time, and so I, I, uh, we had someone sing, We Are the Champions. And I got up and I said, you know what, that, that, that's a very fitting song for some of us that are over 25 today, because we won a basketball game this afternoon. And I, and I said, I said very admittingly, um, the difference between the under 25s and the older 25s after playing an hour's worth of basketball that day is that the under 25s could still walk on their own and the older 25s were limping around and looking for canes and walkers anywhere we could find them for the rest of the night and on Saturday, uh, Friday. I have limitations. It's important to note that we all have limitations. In, in the scriptures, we see we see that these that these uh, uh, disciples they 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 could not leave the word of God and serve tables. The most important way for me as your pastor to serve this church is right here. If we are going to be grounded and founded on the word of God. We have to protect what comes from and through this pulpit. And that is what I believe is the most important role that I can play for Summit Church.
Can I do other things? Yes. Can I do them better than you? Debatable. Just kidding. But we have to recognize what is the thing that only I can do. And I've got to do that really well. What is the thing that only John can do? What is the thing that only Matt can do? What is the thing that only Joe can do? And ask each other to do that thing really, really well. Now, there may be seasons that God calls us to do other things, but here's something I want you to write down if you're taking notes. Organization follows organism. The church in Acts grew by the ministry of the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Only after it grew did the early church need to organize for continued growth. Results, Acts 6-7, great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so again, in Acts chapter 5, the church was boldly witnessing for God. In spite of growing opposition and persecution, the church continued to grow numerically. And unfortunately, as is often the, the case, with growth comes conflict. People get dissatisfied about something. Someone feels unnoticed. Someone feels neglected. Or someone says that their needs aren't being met. It was the same way with the apostles. They knew that the work they were doing was important for them and more important at that than the feeding program, than the meal program. It doesn't mean that the feeding program was unimportant, just that it wasn't their role. It wasn't the most important thing that they could do. It wasn't their job. That was for someone else to do. And I bring up all of these points. I bring up all of these things. We've, we've, we've set the stage with this entire message for this. Servanthood doesn't mean doing everything by yourself. Being a servant doesn't mean that you burn yourself out doing everything. Listen to a couple of these verses. Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of His one body. Each of us has different work to do. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other and each of us has needs and in each of us, excuse me, needs all the others. 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of service in the church, but it is the same Lord that we are serving. There are different kinds of ways that God works in our lives, but it is the same God who does the work through all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us, a means of helping the entire church. Servanthood involves doing your part, not everyone's part. Servanthood involves doing your part, not doing everyone's part. There is no such thing, I believe, except for a, a few, maybe a few seasons of burnout or self-discovery. There is no such thing as spectator Christianity. I am always burdened. And it is such a trend right now. When I hear someone say, I love going to this church because I can go in and out. I don't have to have a conversation. No one asks me to do anything. I can just go. Some of you may feel that way about Summit Church. Some of you may have said that before. Or, or, or the other extreme, I, I love the, the, the small intimacy of a church that just does Sunday mornings and has nothing else going on. Can I tell you that those are two extremes 
of Slippery Slope Church. They're not bad in and of themselves, and I'm sure the church leadership teams in both instances are convicted in trying to figure out how to change their, how to, how to shift their culture. But as we see in the book of Acts, the God calls the church to be fruitful and growing, and He calls the members, those that identify within the body, not to spectate, but to get in the game. In that basketball game the other day, it got a little chippy. The under 25s realized that they were about to lose to a bunch of old guys. And it got a little chippy, and Bria was in the game. And I looked at Bria after they were getting a little physical, and I said, Bria, won't you come out? I'm going to go in. I'm going to finish out this game. And Bria looked back at me and was like, take somebody else out. I don't want to come out. Well, I didn't know the rest of these people I was playing with as well as I know my own daughter. And so I overruled. I pulled the dad. I was like, Bria, get up. You're going out of the game. And she was mad. Somebody came up to me after the game. She's like, Bria didn't want to come out of the game right there. I was like, I know she didn't want to come out of the game. And he said, is she going to talk to you the rest of the night? I said, probably not. Right? And as I was walking back to the room with Bria, and we were talking about that, she's like, I can be physical back. I can push back. I'm like, I know you can. I know you can. I just didn't want you to get hurt. And she said, Daddy, I wanted to play. Oh, that each one of us would have the determination to be in the game with God, in the church, in the body of Christ, that my little girl had to be in that game on Thursday. Pastor, I just want to be in the game. Don't take me out of the game. Don't bench me. I've got more to give. I've got more to give. Keep me in the game. Keep me in the game. There's a fan right there. Okay, so we're going to close down with this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 9. Paul writes to the church of Philippi, and he says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to talk about servanthood. Five points about servanthood that I believe we need to see to be a part of the body of Christ. You ready? Five. Here we go. Number one, servanthood is unselfish. Servanthood is unselfishness. Servanthood involves laying your own desires, your own wants, luxury, and everything else down for the sake of the kingdom. Even though being a servant doesn't mean you have to do everything, it does require that you give everything. And it requires that you do something. When a servant does something, it is always for the good of the master. Never for their own good. Remember that we're not only talking about serving God here, we're also talking about serving one another. In order to be a servant, you have to truly put the interests of everyone else ahead of your own. You have to put the interests of everyone else 
ahead of your own. It means that if you have a choice to make, and one choice will benefit you and the other will benefit your brothers and sisters, a servant must choose the one that will benefit the others. As a young pastor, I had someone look at me and say, Travis, you have to pastor the whole church, not just a small group of people. You have to pastor the whole church. So when you make decisions, he challenged me to make decisions that would impact the whole church for good and not just a little pocket of people. Servanthood is unselfishness. Number two, servanthood, I struggle with this one, I don't know about you, but servanthood is not worrying about what others think of you. Can you imagine Peter and the disciples after they huddled up? I mean, they just had a legitimate complaint, a legitimate need come before them that their widows, the Hellenist widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. They met together, they got together, and they surmised that they could not meet the need in their own strength. That's humility. That's powerful. I can't imagine that. Because you bring a need to me this morning, we in the service, and I sit down here, and three of you come down, and each one of you has a need. My inclination is to say yes first and figure out how in the world we're going to do it later. The people around me love it when I do that. They don't. They don't. Many times when we do things, we're so concerned about what others think. I mean, our culture tells us image is everything. Our society is so concerned with what others think. Often, if we're honest, our actions are greatly, greatly influenced by what others will think. And many times we're so busy trying to impress people that we don't actually accomplish anything. Maybe we don't do something that we know we should do. Maybe we don't say something that we know we should say because we're afraid of what others will think. Maybe they'll disagree with us. Maybe, maybe we'll look foolish. But the fact is that in order to be a servant, we've got to set our own image aside. Number three, servanthood builds right on number two, is humility. Especially when servanthood involves leadership, there's always the temptation to be proud. Anyone who says that humility is easy for them, is proud. Pride is the one temptation that comes worse, that becomes worse when you overcome it. Because if you achieve humility, the temptation is there to be proud of your humility. And the fact is that we are servants of a great God who has promised us that He will do great things for us and through us and in us. And sometimes when these great things happen, we have the tendency to be proud of them. We have the tendency to be proud of them. But the fact is, we have nothing to be proud of. Anything that is bad in us, we can, we can take credit for, but anything that we do good is only by the grace of God. For apart from God, He says in Scripture, we can accomplish nothing. So being humble in servanthood means not worrying about who gets the credit for something. And humility is a great struggle. But it means not caring about who gets the credit for something. Number four, servanthood is genuine interest in others. 
I think that this part of servanthood really shows the practicality of God's ways. See, if I was trying to define servanthood on my own, I might come up with other definitions than, than this passage, but this, because this one kind of seems out of place. Indeed, I would say um, that this is not a regular uh, characteristic of a servant to be genuinely interested in other people, but we have to take genuine interest in other people. We have to take genuine interest in other people. Um, People aren't interested in leaders that aren't interested in them. And so if you want to be a servant, you can't be someone who's only interested in getting the job done because it has to be done. You can't be like the, the maid who, who, who dusts and cleans all day, but as soon as five o'clock comes and she goes home, she doesn't care what the house looks like. You've got to be genuinely interested in other people. And then lastly, Servanthood is giving up your own rights. Servanthood is giving up your own rights. You've heard it a couple times already this morning from Dylan and myself. I love to be right. But the fact is that the Christian servant must be willing to give up their rights. Now, this is, this is, this is very important. Y'all with me? Okay, still this side. I am not talking about compromising truth. We've, we've got we, to make sure that, yeah, sure, servanthood is giving up our rights, but we're not talking about compromising truth here. Jesus was God. He never gave up being God. He never gave up His Godness. However, as God, He had the right to leave some alone in their wicked ways, to their wicked ways. But he gave up that right. He had the right to back out of the plan in the Garden of Gethsemane for the cross, the death, the resurrection. He had the, he had the right to back out of the plan in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he gave up that right when he said, Thy will be done. He had the right to call 10,000 angels to take him off the cross, but he gave up that right. Servanthood is giving up your comforts. It's giving up your rights. I was... It was Monday night. I'll tell you one more camp story and then we'll close down. Is that alright? It was Monday night and, and um, at the campground, I've been going to this place off and on for 28 years. And so, so I know some things and they know me. And I knew at some point that week that we were going to have something in the dining hall that I was just going to need as much of as I could possibly get. You want to know what it was? Fried okra. Now see, don't give out the disgust. Okay? I'm my own person. Don't judge. Okay? And just because you don't like... Now, they had something on the breakfast bar every day that I didn't touch. And it's grits. I don't like grits. But when it comes to fried okra, it's on like Donkey Kong. Okay? And, and, they, and they had fried okra. They, they, they do it one meal every, every week. They had fried okra Monday night. And so 
they, because of because of COVID and, and portion control and, and all of those things, all, all the different reasons, um, that, that they've changed the dining hall. It used to be you could go in with your plate and your tray and just and just pour it on like a buffet, right? Well, now they had you go in. They had the servers behind plexiglass, all the food behind plexiglass, and they would portion your food out, right? They would portion your food out. And so, and so you would get a set amount of fried okra. And I even said, hey, could you put a little bit more on that? And they got like two more pieces and put it on the plate. And I'm like, okay, all right, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I'm, I'm going to eat this. And, and we were one of the first through the lines because I had to speak that night. We were getting ready for the opening ceremonies. And so, and so get my plate, go sit down. And the fried okra, it wasn't just fried okra, but it was good. It was good that night. A little salty, but it always is at camp. It was good, okay? And I wanted some more, like you do. The rule was that if you wanted seconds, you could have seconds. After the entire camp went through the line. Well, that wasn't the way I was going to operate. Because I wanted my fried okra, and I wanted it now. And so I went up, and I found somebody, and just was having a conversation with them that was close to the line. Close to the front of the line. And just kind of merged in with them, just talking with them, just being a part. And then the counters were there at the door. And they looked at me and they said, Travis, have you been through the line? Now, I had an Ananias and Sapphira moment. A moment of a crisis of faith where I could say no and they would probably and we would probably just be fine right you know God would forgive me and all, all the right and I could go or I could say yes and be truthful and wait another 10 minutes for my fried okra but either way I was caught and I had to wait and so by the time I got back up to the front of the line, after everyone had gone, and I mean everyone had gone, I didn't just get one plate of fried okra, I got two plates of fried okra. There's my confession. Right? But servanthood is giving up the ability that just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Right? For the good of the body of Christ, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Church, here's the reason that this message, I believe, has been burning in my heart. is because some of us within the body of Christ over the last three years have gotten lazy. We've gotten comfortable. We've gotten content. And I believe that God has amazing things in store for Summit Church. I'm here for you. I'm here with you. I am, I am, I am so, so, so excited about what God has coming for Summit Church. I'm so excited. But we need some of you to get back in the game. We need some of you that over the last few years have gotten comfortable and complacent to get back in the game. Now, if you're new with us, if you're recent with us, 
We'd love for you to join us. We'd love for you to identify with us. We'd love for you to join the team. We'd love to, we'd love to figure out what position you want to play in. We'd love to champion you. We'd love to hold your arms up. We'd love to position you where, and platform you where God has called you to serve and to minister. We would love to do those things. But for Summit Church, real quick, I've just got to have a conversation. Because I believe God has really placed this on my heart as I was reading through the book of Acts back in June. That it's time for the church to be the church again. And family, servanthood is part of that. Unselfishness, giving up our rights, giving up our comforts, all of those things is part of that. Are there going to be bumps along the way? Yeah. I promise you, there will be. Are there going to be things we got to figure out? Yeah. Are there going to be uncomfortable conversations that we need to have? Yes, please have them with me. Please have them with me. Because so much beauty comes when uncomfortable conversations happen and we get on the other side of it and we both get the opportunity to grow. Don't just leave and go to another church with the baggage of not having an uncomfortable conversation that you could have had and stayed and been beautiful as a result of it and maturity and growth. I mean, when I read the New Testament, these guys didn't hold back. We just studied the book of James. Didn't hold back. Luke didn't hold back here in in showing the disagreements and how they overcame them to be better. On the other side. You know, Labor Day is coming. And people are going to start coming back to church. And people are going to start, you know, all these different things. And we're going to see, I'm praying that we see growth in the fall. And all these things happen. And the church is going to be going up. And, and, and steel is going to be going up. And people are going to get excited about that. But hear me. What matters is right here. What matters is you. What matters is us. And are we being faithful to the task that God has placed in front of us? That's all I'm asking you to pray. This simple prayer. God Am I being the faithful servant that you have called me to be? Are you willing to ask him that question? Now, now, for some of you, the answer is no. And we, need, and, we, and we need to address that. For some of you, the answer is no, and for good reason. Because again, God has benched you for whatever reason, for a season of of discernment, for a season of feeling things out, for a season of of whatever the season may be. But let me ask you, is God now calling you out of that season to get back in? Because we can get really comfortable on the sideline. We can get really comfortable on the sideline. And some of you are saying yes. I am the servant that God's called you to be, and I just want to say praise God 
for you. Thank you. Let's keep going. Let's keep working. Because the best is undoubtedly yet to come. The worship team is going to come. And we're going to sing another song. King of Kings. And I just want to pray for us again. And just challenge you here. Is God calling you to something greater? Is God calling you to more? Is God calling you to servanthood? And what is the thing that you need to lay down today that you need to deal with Him today on to be the servant that He's called you to be? Let's pray. God, I thank You that You are an individual God, that You care enough about us to deal with us as, as, as Your children, as Your loved ones. And God, You have called each and every one of us to something. You've called each and every one of us to be faithful in at least one area. And I pray that we would know beyond the shadow of a doubt what that is. God, I pray that You would call some of us back to serving. God, maybe we can't do what we used to do. Maybe the, maybe the calling is different. Maybe it's shifted. And that's okay. But God, call us back to work. Call us out of our comforts. Break us out of our shells. May we serve you well. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.